welcome to the next instalment of In Conversation with Redouts. Today we're going to be talking about inquests. My name's Laura Payton and I'm an Associate Solicitor at Redouts and I'm joined by my colleagues Caroline Barker, who's a Director, and Samantha Cox, who's also an Associate. So we're just going to talk through a couple of the common issues that might come up for providers that are faced with an inquest to hopefully demystify the process slightly and give you a bit of an idea about what you could expect if you do find yourself involved in an inquest. So I guess to get started, it might be helpful for providers to set out the circumstances in which a provider might find themselves involved in an inquest. Yes, definitely. So normally, well, an inquest relates to the death of a person. So first off, a provider might find themselves involved in an inquest process if one of their service users or a previous service user has died and that death was either violent or unnatural or they're unable to ascertain the cause of death. Now, any of these circumstances would prompt a coroner to carry out an investigation into the circumstances surrounding the death. And so what is the, the purpose of the inquest? What would, what would the coroner be looking to ascertain? Mm. Well, by its very nature, an inquest is inquisitorial, and it's actually a fact-finding exercise. So a coroner is actually trying to determine four questions. Who the deceased was, when they died, where they died, and how the deceased came to, came to their death, so by what means. Mm. It's not supposed to uh, apportion any blame. The conclusions are not supposed to um, suggest any civil or criminal liability. But quite often there are some conclusions that can be reached which have negative implications. So it's really important for a provider to understand how they can get involved if required. Okay, so if, if a provider, for example, a care homeowner, finds out about an inquest, how would they get involved with the process? And why would they choose to do that? Yeah, so normally a provider's first contact in relation to an inquest would be the coroner's office contacting either the provider or an individual staff member asking for further information about the circumstances surrounding a service user's death or about the care that they've received at the service. So this could be through a request for disclosure of evidence, for example their care plan and other associated documents or they may request a witness statement from a member of staff. Now if this happens, a provider should consider whether they want to be listed as an interested person to the inquest. Mm -hmm. So an interested person is a specific status that gets attributed to certain people that have some form of interest in the inquest and its potential conclusions. There's a big list of who these people can be, which includes family members mm -hmm. um, and other people who have been involved with the individual prior to their death and a provider would fall squarely under those um, specific categories. Being an interested person is gives you certain um, access to documentation that you wouldn't necessarily have otherwise. So if you're an interested person then you can see the post-mortem report, you can have disclosure of all of the evidence that is being considered by the coroner and you can comment on that as well and there's also the opportunity to interview individuals at the actual inquest hearing as well so you do have a lot more insight into the inquest process as an interested person if, compared to if you weren't one. 
If a provider has decided to be listed as an interested person to an inquest, they should also consider whether they want to have legal representation at the inquest as well. Now this would mean that you'd have obviously legal support and a legal representative could ask questions of the witnesses on behalf of the provider. Now, not every inquest will require legal representation, but there are some specific red flags to look out for when considering whether you want to be legally represented at an inquest. So some of these could include that the family involved have made a complaint or that they are legally represented themselves. Um, there could have been a safeguarding referral relating to the resident or service user who has passed away. Um, staff could be facing disciplinary procedures or there could be regulatory uh, process procedures being taken against the provider as well. Um, another one to consider would be the involvement of state agencies. So, for example, if the police are involved, okay. then it might be useful for the provider to um, consider having legal representation just to make sure that they are um, covering themselves if anything further should come up as a result of the inquest as well or alongside the inquest. Okay. So in terms of the inquest itself, Caroline, could you give us an idea of, of what sort of process the inquest would follow? Yeah, absolutely. So Sam's already mentioned that providers often get involved with an inquest when they've been asked to provide documentation or staff have been asked to provide witness statements to the coroner. Now, if they're an interested person, they can attend um, the inquest and actually ask questions of the witnesses. So uh, on the day of an inquest, um, witnesses will be, have been asked to attend. Most witnesses will be asked to give live evidence. Occasionally, witnesses are able to have their statement read under what's called Rule 23. Um, and that's where that people don't have, it's not controversial, people don't want to ask questions of the witness, but most will actually have to attend to give live evidence. So on the day itself, um, the witnesses will be called up to give evidence. They will have to swear an oath or an affirmation. And then the coroner will start asking them questions, normally guiding them through their witness statements. And it's really important that witnesses keep a copy of their statement in front of them so they can refer to it. And if they're unsure of any questions being asked, either ask for clarification or simply state, state that it's not within their knowledge. Once a coroner has finished questioning um, the witnesses, it's then open to the interested persons to ask questions if they want to. Now, they'll always start with the family, if the family is an interested person and represented. It will then move on throughout uh, other interested persons, including the provider, if they've chosen to take that status. Now, I've also known um, CQC and the police to be interested persons. So again, another reason, Sam's already flagged up some red flags as to why providers might want to get involved. But we have had situations where the police have actually been asking questions of witnesses within um, the um, process. Now, there may be occasions when a jury is involved. Now, I don't want to get into that in this particular video because it's quite a complex area. But um, where a jury is involved, they can also ask questions of the witnesses too. So at the end of all um, the proceedings, when the evidence has been um, provided, the coroner and in conjunction with the jury will uh, go away and deliberate and come up with uh, conclusions um, around the four questions that, that have been set out at the beginning of this video around uh, a who, when, where and how the person came to their death. 
Okay, well, I, I guess that was probably going to be my next question, that what happens um, once all the evidence has been heard? What's the next step? What can a provider expect? Yeah, so as Caroline said, um, the coroner will consider the evidence that's been, that has been put forward mm. to come to some sort of conclusion. So there's different types of conclusions that can be reached. There's the short form conclusion, which is a categorisation of the death. So they might, ones that would be relevant to health and social care providers include um, accidental death or misadventure, natural causes, unlawful killing, suicide, or another thing they can do is have an open verdict, which means that the evidence that's been presented isn't or doesn't enable the coroner to be able to reach the su a sufficient standard of proof for any of the short form conclusions. Mm -hmm. And so it's an open verdict where it's not fitting into any of the specific ones. So another thing that providers need to look out for is a finding of neglect. So that isn't normally a short form conclusion on its own, but it might be added onto the end of another short form conclusion. And so that might be found if there's been a gross failure to provide the deceased with um, their basic needs. And normally um, this would be, as I say, a contributing factor rather than a sole cause of death. The other type of conclusion is a narrative conclusion, and this would include a short form, but then the coroner can also go on to add more information about the evidence that they viewed, which can add a bit of context to the inquest conclusion. The other thing that needs to be considered as well by providers, because um, after the conclusions have been made, the coroner will consider whether they need to make a Regulation 28 Prevention of Future Deaths report. Now, these reports um, look at whether the coroner thinks that there's any concern about any circumstances surrounding the death of the individual and if there's any risks that need action to be taken to be managed. Now, they can issue, well, the recipient of the Prevention of Future Death report is required to consider this and has 56 days to provide a written response mm -hmm. talking about either action that they've taken to address the PFD and the issues raised in that or providing reasons why action isn't going to be taken. One important thing providers need to bear in mind is that PFDs have to be shared with all interested persons involved in the inquest. And the coroner also has a discretion to publish a PFD further if they believe that's relevant or necessary. So it's very important for providers to consider these. And PFDs can be avoided, in a way, um, through the giving of evidence if there are areas that the provider believes could have been better at a service um, that they've reflected on since an individual's death, then they can take action and they can tell the coroner about action they've taken. If that's been done, then that can sometimes avoid the coroner feeling the need to issue a PFD, which can help with reputational implications as well. We're also looking at, uh, at the inquest, at the end of an inquest, but it's important actually to go right back to the beginning following um, the actual initial death. That a number of bodies, as we've alluded to within this video, can become involved, be it the police, CQC or local authority through safeguarding. 
Now, if the police are involved, um, if they're investigating the death, then this takes precedent over all other investigations. So it might be that we never get to an inquest at all. But um, where the police are not pursuing any sort of criminal enforcement action, then the inquest will go ahead. However, at the end of the inquest, um, providers need to give some thought to whether further action will ensue. So particularly where there are findings of neglect and negative conclusions, not only can it um, um, bring about negative media interest, it might also set the grounds for a civil enforcement action, perhaps from the family if they've got concerns around the care that was given, or if new information has come to light, then the police might reopen an investigation. So an example of that, whilst not within the care sector, would be the Hillsborough inquest, which reopened uh, the criminal investigation and led to prosecutions of senior members of the South Yorkshire Police. So the inquest is a process, but it shouldn't be looked at in isolation, and it doesn't necessarily mean the end of that process when it comes to the final conclusion. Wow, so that's lots for providers to think about when it comes to inquests. Um, thanks very much, Sam and Caroline. Yes, um, if any providers watching this do want more information about what to do if they're faced with an inquest or indeed want legal advice or representation, um, our details will follow after this and you can get in contact with us. We'd be happy to help.